Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head to head to see which one does it better on this week's episode. In the red corner, way back before he began his journey into the world of Spider-Man, Sam Raimi decided to make a much more Sam Raimi kind of superhero movie. Less spandex, more bandages. Less spidey sense, more horrific burns. Less friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, more vengeful killer of those who wronged him. That said, it's actually a bit like Spider-Man, especially the man part. Starring Liam Neeson, it's 1990s Dark Man. Who? No foolish heroics, if you please. Is. Dark Man. They destroyed everything he had. All that he loved. Everything that he was. Now. Crime has a new enemy. And justice has a brand new face. I was afraid that you wouldn't want me anymore. Of course I still want you. The good news is that I know who's behind our little troubles of late. Finish it. While in the blue corner, we've got another vengeful hero, and this one is dead angry, as Eric Draven is awoken from his eternal slumber by a new avian accomplice, so he can punish those who murdered him and his wife-to-be on the eve of their wedding. It's the film that is forever entwined in the tragic death of its star, Brandon Lee, during filming, as the tagline proclaimed, it's darker than the bat. We're talking about 1994's The Crow. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, just sometimes, the crow could bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. Gasoline, I smell. <laughs> Victims, aren't we all? 
So, what connects these two movies, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. My hands. They took my hands. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome to this week's Avenging Altercation, as Darkman goes up against the Crow. These were my choices. So, first of all, you're welcome. (laughs) And secondly, let me explain why I picked them. Happy anniversary, Darkman. 30 years young. It was released in the US on this very day, August the 24th in 1990. Although we didn't get it until November of that year because the 90s. So I gave you a clue on last week's show, which was revenge is a dish best served deadish. Now, full disclosure, we are having to record this podcast slightly earlier due to that sexy conversation, which we're not going to have called scheduling. (laughs) So bottom line is if you've guessed on Twitter, I don't have that information yet because it hasn't happened (laughs) In this timeline. (laughs) We are in different timelines right now, if you can believe that. It's basically the Dennis Quaid movie, Frequency. (laughs) So that's where we are. What I am going to do is when the tweet has gone up from Chris on our at ClashPod, I'm going to look at it and then we're going to announce it on the next show. So you will get the recognition you deserve if you have guessed right, whoever you may be. Once again, do follow us on Twitter. We are at ClashPod. Or if you want a longer conversation, uh, you can email us, show at ClashPod.com. Guys, I'm looking for some connections right now. It's the connections section. Go, Vicky. That feeling when you come back from the dead and your best friend is a cat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think the crow might have something to say about the best friend. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> He's your best friend. I literally <laughs> brought I you do? back from the dead. Uh, superhero movies about real estate. Uh, Dark, Dark Man's The Battle for Riverfront oh, Property yeah. and yeah. Shelley's protesting her tenant eviction mm-hmm. that kicks off the trouble in The Crow. So that most exciting and glamorous of things. <laughs> Big in the 90s, though. Yes. Big. Robocop. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, you could, even the 80s, The Long Good Friday springs to mind. Yeah. Those heady days where, you know, property development, I mean, gosh, now you don't hear about it. Oh, wait, no, sorry. You know, it's exactly the same. <laughs> um, any others? Uh, do you need some clothes? Help yourself from that bin. <laughs> <laughs> I've got that one. Uh, incredible sulks. Superheroes getting grumpy on roofs. Nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One with an electric guitar, Amazing. which we'll get to. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, Vicky, you've already done one of mine. Uh, I was going to add, uh, why bother making a superhero outfit when there's a perfectly good option in that bin? But you've already got that. So I've got another two. You didn't get wed, and now you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. yep. There's a yep. proposal in Dark Man. Yeah, there is. Yep. There is. Uh, uh, but finally, uh, this is the one I'm going with because I kind of prefer it just slightly. Superheroes. Who won't go out without their face on. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's really good. That's really good. He's making himself laugh. (laughs) I've done a Vicky. Oh, no. But you're not doing it with noise, so no one knows. Sorry, sorry. Big laugh, big laugh. (laughs) I am a genius. (laughs) Full Crumpton. (laughs) Right, um... 
I gave you uh, the crow, Victoria, uh, much to uh, squeals of delight uh, when you found out you were getting that, uh, which means, Chris, you got Darkman. There's a four-year difference, Starkman 1990, the crow 1994. We do it chronologically. So, Chris, I'm going to hand the reins to you. Take us on a journey. When Sam Raimi failed to secure the rights to either Batman or The Shadow, he created Darkman, who was a combination of Batman and The Shadow. <laughs> as well as Phantom of the Opera, The Invisible Man, Dr. Moreau, The Fly, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and Beauty and the Beast. Liam Neeson plays the title character, a singed scientist who figures out how to copy, paste, and 3D print his own face. But rather than use that power to turn himself into Robert Redford or Paul Newman, he turns himself into the mentally challenged chap from LA Law and kills the villains who left him for dead. <laughs> A very mid-80s joke. Apologies for that, but it's all right. He has the power to look like any man. They threw a boss of witches! But he is unlike any man. I gotta tell you something about me. He's a cockroach. You think you're killing? And he pops up someplace else. In the darkest hour... There's a light that shines on every human being. But one. From director Sam Raimi. Dark Man. So, memories of watching this, please. Um, I have seen probably the last half an hour of this, and I'll explain why, because I was thinking about how have I done that? Do you remember a time before streaming services and any movie being available a couple of clicks away? There was a time where if you walked in and turned on the TV and there was the second half of Darkman on, you'd go, well, I don't know when I'm going to be able to see this again, so I'm going to watch the second half of Darkman. (laughs) And quite excitingly, piece together a rough estimate of what happened beforehand, which, truth be told, is never that difficult. (laughs) So I've seen the second half of it, but in all honesty, this is a complete first watch in its entirety for me. Vicky? I'd never even heard of it <laughs> until you mentioned it. <laughs> you did tell me that, yes. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Well, for me, a friend of my dad, I, I didn't have Sky, but a friend of my dad did, and I got him to record films for me sometimes. So he recorded me Darkman. And I remember, because the, basically the most famous person in Darkman was the person who played Durant, because LA Law was such a big TV show. Hmm. And so he played a, a, a mentally challenged guy in a horror film called Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. And a similar character in LA Law. So I had quite a shock when I realised that he wasn't like that in real life. And he was terrifying. Hmm. So that was... I was, I found it very frightening for 12-year-old me. was terrified of this film and that man. Completion fans, the late, great Larry Drake. Larry Drake. Name we're talking about, yeah. Um, but also, I then brought it into school, the video, to show my friends the scene involving the pink elephant <laughs> because that took my breath away. And they loved it. We watched that scene a lot that year when I was at school what aspect, in isolation. What aspect took your breath away? The visuals, the acting, uh, the the finger bend. Uh, just there's a lot going on in the space of 30 seconds. Yeah. That, it, that This was also my introduction to Sam Raimi as well. And it made me... That's a very Sam Raimi moment. The most, possibly yeah. the most <laughs> Sam Raimi moment in the whole movie. And so it made me want to watch more Sam Raimi as well. That's the other effect that this mm-hmm. film had on me. 
Well, good stuff, yeah. He really seems to hate fingers. If there's one thing you take from this movie, it's that Sam Raimi, uh, not a fan of fingers, or loves fingers so much and realises the inherent danger of having your fingers jeopardised. <laughs> it's, still, it's even making me feel queasy. We'll, we'll get on to, to what Durant does with the fingers. But um, a bit of background. Um, as I said, this was born out of Sam Raimi's desire to make a superhero movie. And when he couldn't get uh, the rights to the film's the characters he wanted, he came with his own, and he combined it with his love of yeah. universe. Did he, did he come up yeah. with his own? <laughs> <laughs> no, he did. He did. Well, he, he did. took Batman in the Shadow, but he then combined that with his love of the Universal monster movies, which were often tales of mad scientists or tortured beasts or animals. So he put all that together. And um, here's what he said about the story he wanted to tell. He said, I wanted to explore a man's soul. In the beginning, a sympathetic, sincere man. In the middle, a vengeful man committing heinous acts against his enemies. And in the end, a man full of self-hatred for what he's become, who must drift on into the night, into a world apart from everyone he knows and all the things he loves. Save it for the script, Sam. Great line. (laughs) Well, he did. He then wrote a 40-page treatment. Um, And the bloke who wrote Navy Seals was then brought in to have a crack at turning it into a full-length script. Then his brother Ivan Raimi came on and wrote some drafts. Then a pair of screenwriting brothers had several goes at it. Then Sam and Ivan did another six drafts. Then the Coen brothers reportedly took a pass at it. And so the number I came up with was 12, but there might have been more drafts of this. There might have been less. This went through quite a torturous development. Was it that... Uh, wasn't it that the, the studio, Universal, saw the potential of a franchise in it and that's why they were like, OK, we were going to just let you do your thing, but now we see this treatment, now we see this character, we think this could be bigger than that, mm. so we want control to a certain degree. Yeah, well, I guess he was an unknown quantity because this is pre-Spider-Man. I mean, post-Spider-Man, you'd give him all the money he wants to make whatever he wants, right. but... This was his first studio movie. Yeah, yeah. yep. Um, and so uh, when everyone was happy with that script, it went out to be cast. I couldn't corroborate this, but IMDb says Gary Oldman and Bill Paxton were up for the role. I'd be happy with either of those. Yeah. Hmm? I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I love Liam Neeson. Yeah, so much but I agree with you, yeah. Um, and the word, I mean, I could believe this, but Bruce Campbell, he wanted Bruce Campbell to play the role, but they decided he wasn't famous enough. Yeah. Not that Liam Neeson was particularly more famous than Bruce Campbell in 1989, mm. but... Um, but he had been up for a lot of stuff. It was like Liam Neeson sounds to have been the man who spent a lot of the late 80s just missing out on roles. <laughs> he got the role uh, because of his old school charm, apparently. Sam Raimi compared him to Gary Cooper and he said he wanted a monster with a soul and someone who, who could suggest that underneath all the makeup. Um, I think you can correlate the Liam Neeson we see on screen here with the Liam Neeson we get now, these action hero roles where he's not always doing the nicest of things but you're never any doubt, in any doubt whatsoever, that if Liam Neeson's doing it, it's the right thing to do because he does have that very wholesome character. At the start of this, you're like, God, he's a bloody lovely bloke. And so even when he's dropping people off skyscrapers, you're like, if Liam Neeson's doing it, it's fine because it's Liam Neeson well, doing it. Well, as we're on the subject, before we dig in, uh, do you think Liam Neeson's the right man to play this role? Do you think he's good in this film? Yes. Okay. Sounds like a loaded question. I'm distracted by the fact that if there were 12 passes at the script, did no one at any point say, oh, fuck, it should be called Mask Man, Mm. not Dark Man. (laughs) Mm. But no one did. Yeah. I definitely have the poster of Mask Man (laughs) on my bedroom. Mask Man. Wasn't it it the mask? The mask. Yeah, that's, but, you know, we'll get there. Face Man. Face Man. Liquid Skin Man. Skin Man. Skin Man. That sounds like a porno. (laughs) 
All right, so uh, the film kicks off with a, a sort of prologue that sets the scene and I feel like it tells us what kind of film we're about to watch. Definitely. Uh, it's a standoff between two rival gangs and one of them is led by the villain of the piece, Robert G. Durant, played by Larry Drake, as we've said. And it all seems like it's going to get nasty. Um, the One gang have their weapons removed from them. Made me miss the 90s. So many nunchucks. You know what you don't see in movies anymore? <laughs> nunchucks. Like, there's just like three different people have nunchucks taken off them, which begs the question, everyone else has a gun. Did you not think... I probably should bring a gun to this as well, because if there's bullets flying around, I'm not sure how close I'm going to get with my fucking nunchucks. <laughs> uh, and there's a chap with a wooden leg. They make a joke about the wooden leg and then... <laughs> they uh, labour a joke about They labour a joke about all of And, uh, of course, then that leg gets removed and it ends up being a machine gun and shoot the place up while uh, that man is hopping on the spot. Yeah, I got engaged to a girl once with a wooden leg. I had to break it off. <laughs> I mean, it's a solid joke. Did you have that written down? I did, yeah. <laughs> of course I did. You know me. Hey, it's a joke. I'm going to write that down and repeat it. So we've got, immediately, we've got broad slapstick humour with some pretty hardcore violence. And um, Robert Durant starts cutting a guy's finger off. He cuts his first finger off, second finger off, each making a point, third finger off. And fourth finger is, I've got six more points. It's nasty. It's horrible. It's nasty. It's so nasty. I remember just going, oh, jeez. But there's a guy hopping, so softens the blow. And then we are into the movie. Uh, the plot, which I think is quite cleanly and concisely set up. Sorry, I, just before we get into the movie, obviously there is the title sequence uh, where we hear the score. Yes, uh, to score to Batman. Batman for the first time. <laughs> well, I mean, let, let people judge for themselves. It's not for us to just say it's the, it's the score to Batman. <laughs> Although Danny Elfman did write both scores. Have a listen. Wait. It was a year earlier. Danny, uh, how busy are you? Really busy. I still want you to do it. Have you got anything? I got yeah. I, I got some offcuts, uh, some bits that I didn't get around to using for uh, a little movie called Batman. What's don't yours you, called? Dark Man. Cool. Don't, don't you think there's some Spider-Man in there as well? I think he did the same score several times because also I feel like this sits between Batman and Batman Returns, literally and metaphorically. There's some there's some returns in that mm. as well. Yeah, which is I, I prefer the return score slightly. It's the bit with the the bat boat in the sewers, and when the score comes in there. That's the that's the icing on the cake of that film. But seriously, yeah. it, it, I, and I'm saying this, and I know I always say this when I'm about to go, but I love Danny Elfman. He is one of my favourite composers. But that's a bit lazy. <laughs> that's a little bit lazy, isn't it? Yeah. Did he get paid for that? <laughs> that's naughty. Uh, so we're in Westlake Laboratory and we meet Peyton Westlake, uh, played by Liam Neeson, who is making a nose. But the liquid skin is destabilizing and fragmenting, um, which is giving him a problem. But mm. it's yeah, it's helpful that our hero does this for a living, <laughs> based on what happens to yeah. him. But only with one other man. So you'd think someone would be like, "Well, this could change everything." So we'll give you a team of people. No, 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 and just all, one person. Also, if you watch that scene, his lab assistant looks to be suffering the worst hangover. I think he's meant to be pissed off that it keeps dissolving, but he's just like, "Oh." Oh, God. And Liam Neeson's like, we're the smartest guys in the room. What are we doing wrong? 
his assistant's offering, and this whole situation is, what now? <laughs> it's like, off the, you've been handpicked to be his lab assistant. Like, Eight years of school. Come what on. now? Oh, can I go home? This is fucking rubbish. It's melted again. <laughs> And the melting we find out a little later is due to the skin being photosensitive. It likes the dark. What is it about the dark? What secrets does it hold? This film will not tell you. We will not find out, no. Mickey. We will not find out. We'll leave that hanging. We will set this up. Waiting for me. Always oh, go out at night. Oh, okay. This up as a very important plot point that will never come up again. Um, and we also meet um, Mask Man. That's what it's Not Dark Man. Yes. We meet Peyton's girlfriend, Julie Hastings, played by Frances McDormand. Uh, he proposes to her, as Alex said. Yeah. Uh, off I the call cuff. bollocks on this, by the way. What? I mean, there is absolutely no way Liam Neeson goes, will you marry me? And you say no. Oh, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's Liam Neeson and, you know, you just don't say no. I struggled at this point, believability. And I know she doesn't actually say no, but if you don't say yes straight away, you have said no. So It is embarrassing. She just, <laughs> she just needs to think it over. <laughs> I know, to... but a marriage proposal is one of those weird things where you're sort of, you should be expecting it, so there should be no thought. Mm. A woman's allowed to take her time, Vicky. Ooh, oh, Chris. Why are you <laughs> Oh, we've still got so long to go. So far. So early. Uh, and speaking of coincidences, Julie finds the Belisarius Memorandum, which gets said a lot in this film. The full memorandum. <laughs> yeah. No one stoops to memo. <laughs> which has got a lot of time to fill. <laughs> we've only just got it to 90 minutes. Memorandum. Memorandum. Can I ask you what you thought of Francis McDormand in this? I didn't buy their relationship and uh, considering she's one of our finest actresses, I thought she was maybe a little miscast. I think it's just miscasting. It's not her. She's amazing in everything. But with this, and obviously you can imagine how much it pains me to say something like this. You need someone that's like cartoonishly attractive and possibly not much else. Like not not enough, you know, she's too thoughtful. I know, I'm sorry, but... Um, no, I'm not sorry. She's, fuck? I'm not she's sorry. too thoughtful. She's supposed to be she's a high-paid lawyer. She's too intelligent. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, but... It's, I, 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 I actually, I think Vicky's right, mm-hmm. and but I also think, and I'm sure you've probably seen this quote, I think there's more to it than that, because Sam Raimi described working with uh, Frances McDormand on this movie as very difficult. Apparently, I didn't know Fran as well as I thought I did. And he talks about the fact that they had very different ideas for this character okay. and the tone of the film. So I think you're right. I think if you're hiring Francis McDormand, then you can't go, don't do that, because Francis McDormand is going to go, yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to do that. Yeah. But the memo, and we'll call it the memo from now on, because it's too much of a mouthful. Um, that's our MacGuffin. It's, it's records of payment to people on the zoning commission. <laughs> uh, it doesn't get more exciting than that. But this is all about trying to buy up uh, riverfront offices and... Uh, build some property there. So, as we said, it's the plot of Robocop. Mm-hmm. Longer Friday did it. Totally. Quite a few films. Um, and it's so- very Robocop. <laughs> it's very Robocop. And so she finds herself torn between um, her boss, Louis Strack, who's asking her to keep stum about it. And he's saying he's doing that to protect her from Durant, who he's not in cahoots with, we think, at this point. But he is in cahoots with, really. So, um, basically, Durant and his gang break into the lab to get the memo, which they find, and then they find Peyton. They beat him. Um, Rick shoots his assistant, played by Ted Raimi. Yeah, I wrote down, now I feel bad about being so awful about him because <laughs> he does have a nasty death, yeah. He does. Uh, he burns his hands, dunks his head... Uh, sorry, talking about Peyton. Burns his hands, dunks his head in a fiery lead wick- red liquid, blows the place up. Um, just as Julie's heading to the lab to answer his question, um, are you are you not going to mention the they? I mean, they don't just blow him up; they literally blow him 
up. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a hell of a shot <laughs> where he... he literally flies vertically out of the lab and lands yeah. in the river. I said, a, I was going to say, a fiery Liam Neeson flies through the air. Yeah. Um, that got four ticks on my tick system. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny. It's funny. It's funny. It's what it needed after what is an <laughs> awful death. Imagine if when Murphy in Robocop, seeing as we were talking about it, get his ha- gets his hand shot off. And I remember watching that going, this is so upsetting. Mm. It's an awful death. Imagine if then he'd flown vertically into the air and landed in a river. I'd be like, it's fine. It's fine. That's all right. He can become Robocop now. That's what this movie does. It takes the darkness and then brings you the silly. <laughs> and we get a dissolve from Julie standing outside the building to her standing at his grave. One of those Sam Raimi moments that kind of draws attention to itself. And I think underlines the fact that maybe the practical effects in this film are better than the digital effects. And I mean, I know it was a different time, but some of the digital stuff hasn't aged well here, whereas I think the practical stuff looks really great. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we'll get onto that because we're going to talk about the birth of Darkman. Because mm-hmm. they've buried just his ear, mm-hmm. but what they don't realise is he's been recovered by Jenny Agatha. He has! No less. <laughs> that was weird, wasn't it? Uncredited. Oh, Jenny no memory of her being in this film. Um, playing a, a doctor, and I think... Are you going to say nurse just then? No, because I was going to say she plays a nurse in American Werewolf in London, right, okay, okay. and I think she has yeah. the same line that that nurse says at the end. Right. This doctor right, says right, here. Right. Does Good. she stick a pin in a Burns victim? Because I don't think you should do that. She's not looking; doesn't fucking feel anything. Jab. Yeah. <laughs> she, again, they should have taken that a bit further. Look, give me that crossbow. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Nothing at all. Well, if I set fire to him a bit more, he can't feel it. It's just more burn on top of burn. So, yeah, as, as, as you're alluding to, they found him without any ID. They couldn't find his medical history. Uh, they found him on the riverbank and they thought he was homeless. Apparently this happens a lot there. There were burn co- <laughs> burns covering 40% of his body. He'd severed the nerves in his spine, so he was no longer receiving pain impulses to his brain, which is why you can stick him with whatever you want if you're a medical professional. Yeah, mm. Also known as an epidural, actually. So it's not, it's not proof of anything, really. But I did like the conceit that because he's lost the... Uh, his pain receptors, his brain, like, fastens onto other things. I like that as well. I really like that. Yeah. But my problem is, this is basically describing all the attributes that he has as a superhero in a monologue from a doctor. It's yeah. a It's a real information dump. Yeah. And, and a little too much. I think if they went, he can't feel pain, you're like... Got you. That's not okay, superhero. Yeah. He can't feel pain. But then to go, and because he can't feel pain, yeah. there's yeah. this, he's and he'll get angry. He's and without... you're like, what an, how many things? What? Yeah, no, it's a lot. So the side effects are without feeling, without sensory input, the mind grows hungry, amplifies emotions, alienation, loneliness, and uncontrolled rage. And have he's... a secondary character go, so he doesn't feel pain, and he's a bit of a psycho. Done. That's it. <laughs> I can handle that. That's my superhero. And because of surges of adrenaline through his body, he's also super strong. Yeah, see another one. Bloody too many. Um, and that is why he can escape from his restraints, which happens off camera in this film. But don't you feel like if he'd had the money, it would have been the scene in Spider-Man 2 when <gasps> Doc Ock escapes? Yes. It's a very similar setup, yes. except he got to show it in Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now he is a bandaged beast. Um, he approaches Julie but can't speak to her and scares her. He cuts off the bandages and becomes hysterical. Yeah, I got it wrong here because I was like, he goes to back to his lab and he goes, my lab. All my work. And I was like, priorities? Uh, have a look at yourself. And I didn't realise <laughs> at that point he didn't know that he was like, Wah! so I got it wrong. The movie he, got it right. We get histrionics here. We get some big, some big acting big from acting. Neeson. And it's more of these scenes where I felt like when I was first watched this, I didn't know whether I was supposed to laugh at it 
yeah. whether I was laughing literally at it. And I guess if you, it's your first Sam Raimi film, you're not sure. Is this guy just a bad filmmaker or is this, is he, are you, are you laughing with him? I think, I think it's tempered by the fact that he removes the bandages from his face with a jagged piece of mirror, mm-hmm. which is really um, scary, rather than just doing the, the slow unwind, no, but to have yeah. something that sharp and symbolic. Yeah. I mean, it's your first taste of, I guess, him being this tragic monster, yep. like the Universal Monsters were talking about, like yep. the Hunchback of Notre Dame or the Phantom of the Opera. Phantom, yeah. It's, it, it's that sort of like, no, what have I become? Mm. And in the style of those characters, he builds his own lair, um, finds right. a condemned building, mm. sticks a bunch of old computers and labs in, uh, lab equipment in I, there. I think Raimi actually does go, it's Frankenstein, <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Frankenstein's laboratory, is what we did. And rebuilds his face using a damaged photograph. So it's copying and pasting and it's 3D printing <laughs> a long time before yeah. we knew that was a thing. Yeah, but he can't invent the internet. So that's what I love about it. You know, I'm obsessed with our language pre... Uh, and our visual language mm-hmm. pre-modern technology. So he's invented a 3D printer, but in order to give the data to the printer, you have to literally feed it a photograph rather than having a digitised version. Isn't, mm. I just th- I find that endlessly interesting. Yeah. I've been 3D printed. The whole lot of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't nude. Wait, what? It was really oh, my... I thought you were going, all, all of that. Yeah, <laughs> I am saying that. It was, it was in Farringdon. And I went down there and they I was fully clothed, but they right, took a okay. photograph of me from every angle and then sent me a little action, action figure, figure of myself. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. You've got an action figure of yourself. I don't yourself. know where it is. I think I gave it to my mum. That's ridiculous. That is that, that is a stock question whenever you interview someone who's in a superhero movie. <laughs> like, if, you, if you can't be bothered to write any questions, your question is, so what's it like having an action figure of yourself? But you've actually yeah, got the one. Film, it was for, to promote Captain America. The film studio sent me down there and let me have a figure made. And I, I was... I think I was Winter Soldier and my colleague Daniel Kruper was America, Captain America. What does it look like you then? Well, it is my face, although my mum said this doesn't look like you. But I'm like, no, that's my face. Like, no, no artist has, has done that. That's literally <laughs> Who are you? Get out! out. <laughs> it, it does look like, yeah, like me, yeah. What are you wearing? Uh, I'm in the uniform. They put my head on the uniform right. of the action figure, yeah. Right, okay. But is it your body or Captain America's body? Is it just? Did they just do your head? I was carrying quite a bit of weight then, so it was not my body. No, it was not my body. So okay. it was really all about getting my face from every angle. I think that would have been much funnier <laughs> if they'd done the whole of you and made it Captain America <laughs> with a porch. I've just noticed your T-shirt. You're wearing a bullseye T-shirt, am, which yeah. is fucking brilliant. <laughs> So if they'd, they'd had you in that T-shirt as well. You say Bullseye, it's Bullseye the quiz show, not Bullseye the superhero character, bearing in mind what sure. we're... Sure, sure, whatever. <laughs> not, not Colin Farrell. Only knows one, so she just, it's just you don't Bullseye. No, Colin Farrell's Bullseye. No. Oh, oh my God. God. We'll do that one day. <laughs> Absolutely. Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, back to... What spin-off do we want? Electra. <laughs> uh, back to Darkman. So, um... Yeah, I, I was just talking about um, Liam Neeson. He, yes, this is when he says, "My hands." They took my hands mm. as well. Um, but um, how did they take his hands? I missed this bit. They t- I think they took the use of his hands. Is what he means. The, they, used... the skin's gone off his hands. But and he's so... used them already. Like, what? What did I miss? Like, I think that would, wasn't that him creating skin I... for his hands that he was using. Like one hand he'd created skin for, and the other one he didn't have skin on it. Why is it... Uh... I think it's because his hand catches fire yep. and he can't sense the pain anymore. Yeah. So because he has no feeling in his hand... But pain receptors are different from sense receptors. So when you are... The procedure she's talking about, Jenny Agatha, 
if I'm not very much mistaken, after my eight years at medical yep, school. I remember that. Thank you for joining us again. I know. <laughs> it's a very busy time at the moment. Front line. Um, you, can't, you can feel sensation without feeling pain. So we'd be able to touch things and feel them. Right. I see what you mean. Um, I'd argue, uh, not argue, but I'd suggest that perhaps he. That's not what happened. <laughs> he was someone who worked best if he was in pain. So, yeah, okay, fine. So fine. he had... He, he, Loved a paper cut. Can't he, cope yeah. without it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do now, yeah. But he, 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 he'd sort of he'd give himself a friction burn with the thumb on the back of his hand. Did, you, did anyone do that? If we talked about this, did people do that in school? Your school, you're a boy, Chris. There was a weird fad at my school where uh, all the guys got their thumb and they rubbed all the skin off the back of one of their hands uh, to create a, just a giant sort of friction burn and then they coloured it in with ink. That's insane. What? That's, that's insane. Ins- that's mental. <laughs> I realised that it was one of those weird think, school fads. I think the blokes I went to school were a bit cleverer than your mate. <laughs> <laughs> it was a proper like Slenderman thing. It was like really like to get ink poisoning. Is ink poisoning a real thing actually? Because that's what I remember at school. Like people saying you'd get ink poisoning mm. constantly. You drink enough ink, it will poison then it will you. Poison you. <laughs> <laughs> it's much water. like anything. <laughs> what are you doing tonight, son? I'm going around to Alex's house to rub the skin <laughs> off the back of my hand. <laughs> you wouldn't have been invited. The, ho- the hockey team weren't there. <laughs> Right, and now we're into the section of the film I'm calling Dark Plan. Cool. (laughs) So it's pretty simple, really. Um, Dark Man is going to get Durant and his men. So what follows is a series of gruesome kills. Mm. But it kicks off with Dark Man. He's hiding in the rafters and skulking about, and it is very hunchback, very phantom. Uh, But he clocks Rick, played by Sam Raimi, and abducts him. Sam Raimi. Ted Raimi yep. uh, abducts him and he gets quite the kill, Rick, mm. yeah, I think. Does. Even though it's only brief, his head pops up in the middle of a road and he gets run over by a big truck. Eventually. It's, it's the way he moves from side to side. I was yeah. like, is he a dummy? Is that a dummy? It looks like, yeah, like they've got it under because the Because I was like, obviously, obviously those are real cars going by. Yeah. So it's a hell of a stuntman who goes, I'm totally okay with this. Yeah. You know, I, and I'm going to just... But it's not a stuntman because it's him. But I, I think it's a dummy. I do too. I can't imagine that no. they would have gone... Yeah. Yeah. You can't even put a stuntman up there. No, I don't think. Fine, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he moves on to Paulie next, uh, the big bald goon. Poor Paulie. Um, he sets Paulie up by uh, taking his money and leaving a plane ticket to, to make it look like he's going on the run. Mm. And at this point, I suddenly realised, oh, this is the Mission Impossible film. Yep. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Are you, are you realise that already? It took me until the moment where he puts a mask on the bad guy. On a mask, on a mask. And then the second mask <laughs> right. on. And I was like, oh my God, this is Mission Impossible. <laughs> Mission Impossible stole that idea. Yeah. I was disappointed and I won't keep going on about it. So I'll just say this. So because the the setup with the dark, what I was expecting, as you could probably infer, is that he's going he's gonna to make a Liam Neeson mask and then he's going to ex- enact his vicious revenge under cover of darkness and he'll be fighting the sunrise and that'll be cool. And then I was disappointed because when he started making masks of his enemies... But then I came back round. So like that's fun for the other actors to get to see them pretend to not be themselves. Yeah, which, and then so that was enough of a treat. And they do. He kind of shuffles around. Yeah, and can't speak. And and and, and they shuffle around in the style that he shuffles yeah. around. So it's they fun watching re- yeah. that. They do really well. Um, he and then after after that kill, he's sitting on top of the building as I previously mentioned, between two gargoyles, <laughs> looking wistfully at the people below, saying, "Oh God, what have I become?" Which, I think also not that bad. Because you're all right, Liam. You're fine. You can come back from this. Paulie gets killed, but gangsters, they're quite um, capricious, shall we say, bad and fickle, perhaps. And Paulie was probably going to get killed at some point over some money. I think he's also going to have a heart attack. Do you see how much he's eating a lot of junk food in this? (laughs) I don't 
think he's done anything that bad. But he's also, I think, referring to his own mental health in that he can't control his emotions anymore. He can't control his anger. Yeah. He's he's finding um, himself needing to put a little hat on and dance around <laughs> oh, saying, yeah. am I some kind of a circus freak? <laughs> um, but This is the guy that plays Oscar Schindler in three years' time. <laughs> and he's wearing a little funnel on his head and dancing like a clown. But just to add a, a little bit of an explanation, I, I think gangsters or not, this is the first time he's taken lives. As He's still Liam Neeson in there, or, or Peyton. So mm. he is killing people for the first time. And I think, you know, gangster or not, I mean, like, you know, my first kill was hard. So I'm just, I can only You've never late. killed someone until you've killed someone. You That's what, what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I know. Um, here's a quote Still from... going with the Martin Blank thing from last week. <laughs> <laughs> so much more Patrick Bateman. Um, uh, here's a quote from Liam Neeson that he said to the Chicago Tribune at the time. He said, I saw Darkman as a guy who is con- constantly keeping the yin and yang of his soul together. He's always keeping something down, trying to quell the raging beast inside him. I think we can all identify with that kind of thing in us. You're sitting in a traffic jam or waiting on an elevator or a restaurant table and there's an outward side of you that has to present itself to society as being a normal person but inside you're like dying to stab somebody. (laughs) Now I don't know what Liam's talking about here. Do you know every time Liam Neeson starts one of these stories now you're just like wait hang on wait 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 wait, 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 wait. Liam Liam, run it by me first where does this go? You're wait. let me just rephrase that you're waiting on an elevator and inside you're dying to stab somebody. (laughs) I don't connect those two myself. I've not got his other quotes here, but I thought that Uh, tells its own story. I'm probably going to go back to the earlier part of this podcast where I was like, Liam Neeson is just a lovely bloke, and edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) I got a lovely stabby bloke. (laughs) Uh, And so now he's impersonating Durant. Uh, He gets Durant arrested, and he has to Chinatown to do a deal. Um, He proves himself to the people in Chinatown by burning his own hand, and I wasn't sure what that proved, apart from he was one of Alex's mates from school. (laughs) The original draft, if you've read it, he rubs rubs all the skin off and pulls pulls ink in it. He's like, yeah, now give me the money. I did think it's not the sort of thing that would... If we're being set up with like criminal kingpins, Mm. I don't buy that that old man would be like, oh, well, you're not messing around. Like, fine. Don't buy it. Yeah. Or just do something. It can still be quite low-key, but maybe much more visually dramatic. Yeah, but the bit where he chops the cigar, he goes... He goes, you have until the time I finish this cigar to give me the money. And then he's got the cigar cutter and he just cuts the cigar really short. <laughs> it's, it's, that's, that's good. Yeah, it's that a is great good. idea for two reasons, though, because on the one hand, he's basically, it's a threat going, it's not going to be long before I kill you because the cigar's short. And also he's doing it because Liam Neeson has like minutes before his face starts to melt off. So it works on two levels. True. It's quite good. Yeah. I, didn't re- I, I just realised that and I thought, that's quite good. Mm. I also like the fact that Robert Durant before that, where he's been arrested, uh, which never goes anywhere really, apart from getting him out of the picture for a moment, where he's arrested for robbing a convenience store. Oh, yeah. And he's running out and his lawyer's like, I need you to sign his deposition. Um, <laughs> goes, that's a good impression. I like that one. I don't that's know. your pen pusher at City Hall. Love it. <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, and Robert Durant goes, I told you I was in no way near that convenience store, you nitwit. <laughs> I'm like, nitwit. Underused. Great word. Uh, and you have the two Durants in a revolving door together. That's fun. That's really, really Really fun. cleverly done. I've watched that scene a couple of times trying to figure out how they'd done it and I couldn't figure it out. Okay. Um, and then we are at the fun fair. Yay! Uh, 
One last bit before that, when they have the gunfight on the street in the cold light of day, mm-hmm. all in the open, gunfire, and then Liam Neeson manages to escape at the end. Mm-hmm. And they just all sort of look really, ner- they nervously slip their guns back in <laughs> their pockets after running through the street firing them. I was like, I'd have gone one step further and had them go... So Peyton is at the fun fair with Julie. He's way too happy to begin with. His emotions are clearly not right. That's because he's Seinfeld joke alert, but he's figured out the perfect relationship. Yeah, I can only do an hour and a half, and then I've got to go. <laughs> he tries to tell Julie uh, who he is, but he sees a half man, half beast that spooks him, and then he wants her to win uh, to win her a pink elephant at a coconut shy. Uh, but the guy running the shy uh, says that his throw doesn't count because he wasn't behind the line, even though he was. I know. He was. And that tips him over the edge. He says, I want a pink elephant for my <laughs> girlfriend, the elephant, quickly. And then he starts hulking out. We zoom in on his face as fire rages. And it, this happens a few times in the film. We kind of get a sense of what's happening inside his brain. Um, and it's all a bit Salvador Neurons Dali. Neurons firing off. Yep. And um, he takes the guy's fingers and bends them back until they break. Mm. The guy screams. Peyton screams. Julie screams. <laughs> and then he says, take it, take it, take the fucking elephant. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, no, please forgive me. As his face starts bubbling and he just runs off. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> I watched it over and over and over again when I was a kid. Yeah, um, good. Yeah, it's good. Maybe, but it also might be the reason this film wasn't more successful than it was. Um, but yeah, it's um, something I've not forgotten, and hopefully you won't either because we're going for a break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Chris, I've forgotten. <laughs> what have you forgotten, Alex? <laughs> that terrible link I did. Um, and so he's back in his lair, Peyton is, and uh, we and Judy can see him up close and he's only got half a face. Yeah. And I think it looks spectacular it's here. It's incredible. Really good. It's, and it's very much like Two-Face in Dark Knight, yeah. which was completely computer generated and this is completely practical. I think, I think this is better. Yep. I think this is better and also it's the teeth. The t- the, oh my God, I was going to say the teeth! The lack of lips around the teeth, yeah. the fact that you can see his entire gum line. In the bone. But his teeth have held up really well. 
actually. Have, yeah. Well, I mean, they're bone, aren't they? So. Yeah, but they didn't get smashed out or anything like that when he landed in the oh. river, you know. No, it's true. I mean, I don't know that... I don't. I mean, teeth are pretty strong. I think landing even face first on water, face first on water from a, a, a good height isn't going to damage the teeth. It might damage break bones, but not the teeth. That's really good to know. I, I have what, a lot of mortality related teeth anxieties. Now, let me take you on this bridge tour. <laughs> but he's he's got messed up teeth in his mouth. Has he? Yeah, oh, because yeah. because Liam Neeson said he hated having to. That was the most difficult part was acting with these teeth in. Yeah, and actually, I think there are some scenes where it's a real problem because it sounds like he's got marbles in his mouth. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene later on where he smashes through a window in an office and he just says to the people, <laughs> and he should just say, excuse me. So, he really say, excuse me, to be honest. Like, it diffuses the drama a bit. Oh, well, God, it, sorry. Well, it's the Sam Raimi joke though, isn't it? It's him telling you I'm making a slapstick film, not yeah. what you think I'm making. It also, but, his teeth remind me of the cover of my, I've just remembered my Evil Dead 2 box mm-hmm. my vhs the skull face on that i think had really exposed teeth if i remember right and i did wonder when you that you do kind of see a burning skull or a skull when we get when we're having flashes of things in his head and i wondered if it was the evil dead skull that mm. he was utilizing here because this was the film he made between evil dead 2 and army of darkness uh, where's the car in this film i actually didn't notice coming it. up oh great i'm getting there cool, cool. But, and we're into the section called the finale because Julie finds the memo in Louis Stack's office and then Stack finds Julie finding the memo. The memorandum. Uh, we've established <laughs> right, we're calling right, it the memo. Right. Uh, well, it's the Belisarius memorandum, actually. <laughs> uh, I like the coffee ring callback, though. The fact that she put a coffee ring earlier and so she knows it's the exact one. There's some good callbacks. The coffee ring and, you know, when Louis Stack is showing her the model city mm-hmm. and then he's like, and then you go back later in Act 3 and now the city is made real. That's a brilliant callback. But the fact that this very important memo is just sitting around for the one time Julie comes in. You've got a shredder, haven't you? You've got a 3D printer. There's there's slightly too many coincidences going on here in terms of, you know, Darkman doing what he does, what happens to him, who his girlfriend is, who he's working for, who he's working with. If you actually take a step back, it's all way too convenient. And he never seems mad at her because she goes to Louis's office Mm -hmm. and he's like, well, you could just lose that memo. And it's like, yeah, you probably should have done because your boyfriend got burned into like stringy cheese because you wouldn't get rid of this memo and he never has a conversation he's like could you not have just done that yeah and i wouldn't be half dead yeah it's not not matter because on top of like turning me down for marriage yes uh, actually you then then went and blew me up yeah or were a big part of that the reason i think it's out on the desk um is because uh, lewis has a very scandy influenced office a very minimal oh i loved it i thought it was great if that wood mm. was slightly lighter it would be completely Do scandinavian but there's no drawers the panel no and then drawers. it was like cocktails that's what i thought <laughs> i just I, I think it's style over substance so i think it was out on the desk because the desk because very minimal no literally no drawers <laughs> So this is when Julie finds out that Durant is working for Strack and uh, Durant kidnaps her and they end up at Darkman's lair. And once in the lair, Darkman starts messing with them in a kind of a way I thought he'd do more through the film. Yeah. Using fake faces and fake deaths. And because he's got holograms. He's man and he's got loads of masks. <laughs> because yeah. he's the mask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then next thing you know, he is hanging off the side of a helicopter. This is great. Yes. Yep. This is great. I didn't expect this. This is really, really, this is great action. They shake him and they dip him and they yeah. smash into buildings. I have a problem with that part, though, because I think the circumstances in which he's ended up hanging off a hook attached to a rope from a helicopter. I mean, I know Durant is a big time criminal, but I still think this is quite rare. 
I don't imagine it's that often he's had a guy hanging off his helicopter and let alone have the same pilot. So when he goes to the pilot, dip him, (laughs) the response should be, what? What what does that mean? (laughs) What are you... What are you talking about? <laughs> dip him. I mean, dip him. Sorry. I mean, dip him. I, I, again, I'm going to have to come back with what, what is that? Sorry. It's, have I not told you this? It's where you lower him. You weren't here last time, were you? What's your name? Clive. Clive. It's where you lower him into traffic. Uh, that's the dipping, the dipping part. Okay. Okay. I got it. I'll just do that then, shall I? Just say lower him into traffic. And he dips him and he nearly hits a 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88, which appears in all of Sam Raimi's films. Now, according to the internet, that is the Coen brothers driving that car. And it's only a split second. And I had a low definition, but I took a photo, which I'll post on Twitter. One of them looks like a Coen brother. The other one really doesn't. One of them does. Yeah, one of them does. does. So that's potentially the Coen brothers in Darkman driving the Oldsmobile. Uh, we'll let you be the judge audience. We will post that. Um, and the, one of the things about this chase, now I love this movie and I love the slapstick. The only time is when you are having a chase across a rooftop. So your hero, anti-hero, whatever, he's running away from the helicopter and it's great. Like it's real effects. Robert Durant has a grenade launcher and he's firing it at Darkman. I don't know that uh, a moment of jeopardy in that chase, helicopter, grenade launcher, hero, should be your cape getting snagged on a handrail. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, mean, I was like, he's not got, I thought it's an accident. He's not got stock. It's like, I was just like, I was thinking, I just couldn't help think of Ed Mode in The Incredibles. Heroes don't wear capes. Yes! Because like, it's like, come on, it's what, he got his cape caught. Can it, can it not be he's trapped in a corner or say he's fallen over? just sprains his ankle, whatever. Yeah. But then Darkman attaches the chopper to a truck and Durant explodes in bloody flames. Which means our villain has gone because there's another villain in this film who we don't really know, we don't really care about, we're not frightened of, and no. then we've got to go and deal with him. Yeah. They got the villains the wrong way round here. Or just introduced, just did the twist a bit too late. So you could ha- you can handle having two main villains for a little bit of time, but we don't know Lewis is the villain until far too late. Yeah, yeah. and I th- but, and I th- also think Durant should be the last to kill to be killed, not struck. Yeah. yeah. The, you, the last person you kill is the guy who did whatever he did to you as the hero. He's the guy who blew you up, so he's the last to go. I absolutely agree. I checked the time thing when the helicopter, again, and I swear, I swear that Brian De Palma was watching this because I'm like, that. see, well, hang on, you've attached a helicopter <laughs> to a vehicle heading into a tunnel. Um, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> and the masks, this is very, very Mission Impossible. But... Um, I do think uh, it was 15 minutes. It was, I don't think. I know it was 15 minutes to go when Durant dies. I'm like, too long. And and the fight with Strack on the roof well, between the girders, I think, goes on a little bit too long as well. Uh, although it is better than what he went on to do with Spider-Man 3, which I kept thinking of. You know, the end of Spider-Man 3 where Sandman and the Green Goblin are uh, yep. in the skyscraper and then she, yeah. is, uh, uh, she is, is it still... It's, I can't remember. It is. It's uh, Kirsten Dunst at that point. So yeah. uh, Mary Jane is in the yeah. web and all of that. I was like, this is this is a forerunner for that. Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Um, But yeah, it, it ends with Strack, he, Darkman's holding Strack over the edge and Strack says to him, you can't in, uh, didn't drop me. Uh, it's not something you can live with. Now, I don't know why he says that to Darkman because Darkman's just killed everyone yeah. and he's lived fine with it. I mean, he's not been happy about it, but why, why is he going to stop with this guy? And he guy? never knew him. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. he wasn't like, oh, you yeah. were such a good bloke. Yeah. 
So he, he calmly drops it. And also, you shouldn't gold someone who's holding you off a metal beam. Just I, beg. Just do the sensible uh, thing. God, I dare you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You wouldn't. I fucking dare you. Go on. See what happens. Shit. I, I, I do. Although it comes too late, like you needed. I did like the fact that he was like, I used to work on girders as a kid. That's why he's basically, it's always good to have a villain in a situation who has an advantage over yeah. your hero. Yeah. But set that up earlier. Like, yeah. Have, oh, a, yeah. have yeah. a scene walking around girders where someone's nervous and he's like, oh, this I'm is used to this. To me. Yeah. Yeah. It feels very conveniently dropped in. Yeah. Um, and so... 12, 12, 12 rewrites. So. <laughs> uh, and so the villain is dead and um, Peyton, Darkman, goes off into the night. Uh, he doesn't go into the night. Oh, no, he the, does. Into the night then, but in the day, then Judy's the looking day. for him. Yeah. Judy's looking for him. She wants their life back, but Peyton is gone. Very strange, though, how she runs from one scene and it's dark to another Sunshine. scene and it's daylight. Yeah. There's a couple of... And she's just, she's just grabbing moments. every bloke on the street as well, which seems like that's going to take a long time. Yeah. Hoping they're going to be dark man. Um, yeah. Via voiceover, you hear him saying, I'm everyone and no one, everywhere and nowhere, call me dark man. And then we see... Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Which makes me think that Peyton has a photograph from Evil Dead so he could create <laughs> Bruce Campbell's face. <laughs> uh, we talked about it earlier. We talked about Frances McDormand and her character. Um, I, I'm not keen on how this ends with her because I, I will get onto it in the bit section. I'll save it for the bits because I think it's quite a good point. But anyway. So early preview screens of this film did not go well as people laughed in the wrong places and complained about the lack of a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did well nevertheless. Uh, Neeson's first proper action film got pretty good reviews and it was a success. It made $50 million worldwide from a $16 million budget. It spawned two sequels that went direct to video. Uh, Darkman 2, The Return of Durant and do you want to say the third one? Oh, die, dark man, die! Yeah. <laughs> dark man three was called Die, Dark Man, Die. I love it from nineteen ninety six, as well as comic books, video games, action figures. There were books. Uh, there was even a TV pilot that Raimi was briefly involved with, um, telling the story again, a thirty minute um, version of it in nineteen ninety two that Fox made. Uh, all new cast, apart from Larry Drake, who returned as Robert G. Durant, and uh, the pilot um, was unaired and never got. Have you seen uh, either of the sequels? No. Okay. I just wondered how Durant came back. I have looked that up. Oh, good. Uh, He wakes up from a coma and survives. That's it. That's it. (laughs) That's it. That explosion. But is he a superhero himself now? Is he a supervillain in some way? No, I think... um, I I don't know. I'm not going to say. Okay. That's all I wanted to know, really. (laughs) Right, fine. I know Jeff Farhey is either the hero or the villain in the third one and Arnold Vosloo uh, plays Jeff Farhey Lawnmower Man Lawnmower Man Farhey and Arnold Vosloo plays Darkman in the other ones of the mummy fame oh so that's about it I've got on Darkman anything else good for me V no okay Uh, what is your favourite scene Victoria take the fucking elephant brilliant Alex what's your favourite scene take the fucking (laughs) elephant we're three for three (laughs) take it take it take the fucking elephant Uh, as a a runner up though the bolt flying through the air through the hand another Raimi moment I like that beautiful Um, Alex MVW most valuable whatever Uh, Larry Drake as Robert Durant. I think he's great in this. Um, he totally convinces as a man who collects fingers, which is what I'm looking for in a villain. <laughs> but 
for the first time ever, or for a while, I think, I'm picking someone behind the camera, uh, which is Bill Pope, the DOP Mm -hmm. on this. This was his first movie. And I was watching it going, I remember especially, especially in the action sequence with the helicopters at the end, and he's a DOP. And I was like, this is, uh, if we took the age equation away from this, I think if I saw this at the time, I would be blown away by this action sequence. And then I was like, who's the DOP? And it's mm-hmm. Bill Pope who went on to not just do the Spider-Man movies, but also he did Scott Pilgrim. He did Baby Driver with Edgar Wright. But most importantly for me, he did The Matrix and mm-hmm. the sequels. And, you know, I love my action. And I, Bill Pope, great. So I'm picking Bill Pope as well. Vicky? Uh, the burnt face makeup. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, it's very like you say. It's better than better than CGI. Um, really effective and and scary, but also human. So, yeah, very so good. great. Let's give that guy credit. Who or woman who did it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was Bill Pope as well. It was a, a professional artist. <laughs> uh, I'm going for Larry Drake, uh, like Alex. Uh, it, because of what a revelation it was to me. A that he had all his men- mental faculties because I did not know that. And B, what do you keep talking about? What is he? What is he in? LA Law. All his mental faculties. Yeah, he's mentally challenged character. In, LA, in LA Law. Law right. And, in, and, and, in, and in the most popular film he'd done before that. He'd only played mentally challenged characters okay. as far as I was okay, concerned. Okay, so, okay. But, and also, on top of that, he's fucking terrifying. Mm. Um, and he went on to play a character I would love us to talk about one day, but it's quite hard to track down. Um, Mr. Giggles. Dr. Giggles. Dr. Giggles. Who's a, a killer dentist. <laughs> oh, I can't. I'm too scared. I'm too scared oh, of we're the doing dentist. It. Yeah. A million percent. We'll do it with the dentist. I can't. <laughs> you know, I just won't be there. Let's watch the dentist. No, I've never watched it for that reason. It's a good film. No, not if you're terrified of dentists. I mean, it's not a great film, but it's not a bad film. <laughs> uh, well, Alex, I liked it. Alex, if you could change anything, what would you change? Francis McDormand, and I cannot believe mm. I'm here saying this, but I found her character, I needed her. I needed her to be a bit more sympathetic to his situation. There were a couple of moments, and especially at the end, where she's like, I want to see what you look like in the lift. And he shows her, and her response is, "You'll perfect the skin. Yeah, You'll make true. it work." And it's like it's another no, not isn't it? <laughs> the right thing to say. It should be like, "You're fine like that. I still love you. It doesn't matter what you look like. No, how are you going to perfect the skin? And how long will it? How long will it take? Are you going to do this?" And then she doubles down on that because he says, "I can live with it now, but I don't think anyone else can." And she. Doesn't immediately go, I can, I can, I can live with it. She goes, I want her old lives back. Like, you know, before you turned into this thing. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, but Francis. To, can I just step in there? To be fair, that's the script. She's not making those words up. But this is why I brought it up earlier. Like, a lot of the scenes between them, Liam Neeson and Francis McDormand mm. rewrote. They wrote a lot of their scenes mm. together after he became Dark Man. And Sam Raimi clearly says she had her own idea for the character. He does go on to say it was a good collaboration, mm-hmm. but she clearly came with her own agenda. So uh, my problem is that, you know, I think, you know, someone like Francis McDormand should be going, I think maybe I should, like, not be concerned with the fact his face is burned off and actually still love him. And the reason I say that is because at the end... It would be so much more powerful if she was like, I want to be with you. I don't mm. care what you look like. And he Please no. stay. And yeah. And he goes, he goes, no, because I can't live with myself and I don't trust myself. And now I have to go. Mm-hmm. As opposed to her going, yeah, um, oh, I'm not sure about this. And him going, 
Right, well, I was going to go anyway, so <laughs> see you. I'll just go. Yeah, I'll just leave then, become Bruce Campbell. See you. Uh, Vicky, have you changed anything? Um, when he proposes to her and she's in the cab and she says, I'll think about it, the cab should pull down the street and then after about three seconds, she should lean her head out and say, it's a yes. And she was just messing with him mm. because yes. that's how sweet and cute and nice they are together. And that tells you more about their relationship um, and would make you give a fuck. It's not even really that they're going to be married. To me, it's just more that they're in tune with each other. Yeah. So a joke like that makes it, it very economically makes it clear that they get it with yep. each other. Well, we are literally, I mean, your change and my change are exactly on the same line yeah. about their relationship and her relationship with him being a little sweeter. Yeah. I think they should have let Frances McDormand write her own lines. By the sounds of no, it's not. I don't think right, that. Um, I've already said I think they should switch the villains around, <clears throat> and I've already said that they should have done something about Liam Neeson's teeth. So I won't do that. <laughs> I'm going to do a controversial one, like you. I don't think you started out saying it was. Uh, oh, I don't okay. think um, Liam Neeson should have played Darkman. Oh, and I think you better have some further casting <laughs> options. Then I think he's too good an actor, um, and I don't think he sells the silly in the way he should. And in the way that Bruce Campbell would have. Now, Bruce Campbell, um, his, I've read his autobiography. It's called Confessions of a B-Movie Actor. This is what he specialises in, is doing these really silly, over-the-top, dumb performances. And I think I would have bought it. I think there are moments where Liam Neeson is way out of his comfort zone when he's got a funnel on his head and uh, it doesn't ring true at but, all. But no one listens to the same piece of audio tape over and over again the way Liam Neeson does. <laughs> So in Taken, good luck. 50,000 times. And in this, that'll do fine. Or whatever it is. It's like, well, he nailed that. Just like I listened to Take the Fucking Elephant a million times when I was 12. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I, I respectfully disagree. I think this actually needs someone of... I love Bruce Campbell, but I think in such an over-the-top film like this... I mean, granted, Evil Dead's over the top, but that's sort of that is more comedy than this. I, I think you need someone with the gravitas of Nice, and I think... Actually, the the bits where he's sort of the gentleman monster and you don't like it because you think he's got marbles in his mouth. But I love the bit where he smashes through the window and goes, foof, foof. He doesn't. He goes, foof, foof. he goes, excuse me. <laughs> With marbles in his mouth. <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> but it's clear. I picked up on he's it. He's not Roger Moore. <laughs> Alan? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks. For... Hello, Alan. <laughs> I didn't realise we were disagreeing with people's changes now, but thank you for that. Um... It's a discussion. It's a discussion. I thought that's why we started the podcast. <laughs> Great stuff. All right. Uh, that's that then. Uh, that is us done on Dark Man. A good outing, I think. Uh, but uh, it's not our first show of the week without a quiz. Chris. As you liked uh, the music quiz last week, we're sticking with music, but no longer lyrics. This time we're talking about fake bands, because okay. in Thursday's episode, The Crow, we yep. have a fake band. Yep. What's it called? Hangman's Joke. Hangman's Joke. <laughs> Hangman's so, Joke. So cool. Oh yeah, that's God. the name of his band. I didn't even write that down. That's good to know for Thursday. So um, these are some fake bands, and I want you to tell me the movie from which they come. Oh, okay. Shit. This is going to be really hard. No, this is not obscure. I, I, okay. I, on purposely, I don't do obscure. Okay, so let's start off with Marvin Berry and the Starlighters. Don't know. Yeah, uh, Marvin Berry and the Starlighters. <laughs> the last Starlighter. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do the scene from the film. Great. Chuck, Chuck, it's your cousin oh, Marvin. It's Back to the Future. Oh. It's Chuck Berry, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Back to the Future. All right, one to Alex. 
Um, Stillwater. Uh, Almost big... famous. Yes, fuck that. Two to Alex. Fuck off. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. <laughs> and we were all getting on so well. All right, fingers on buzzers, because I think you'll both know this one. Wild Stallions. And Bill Ted. Very good. <laughs> Three to Alex. Okay, a bit of a tricky one. Bit of a tricky one. Uh, the Soggy Bottom Boys. Ooh, that sounds so familiar. Yeah, it does. Uh, the Soggy Bottom Boys. Uh, it feels like... Is it... Give us a clue. Coen Brothers film. Oh, no. the thing with George Clooney in. Where they're running. Oh, brother, we're, brother, we're, we're out. out. We're out. <laughs> Vicky's getting that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of a yacht now. <laughs> That'll do, won't yeah. it? The Max Rebo Band. I oh, don't know. It feels like a science fiction movie. It is. Uh, um, uh, is it Star Wars? It is. Is it the Cantina Band in Star Wars? No. Is it Jabba's Palace Band? Say a fucking Star Wars film. Return bit. of the Jedi. Yes. yes. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> I'm trying to help you here. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's Jabba's Band. Yeah. Uh, Citizen Dick. <laughs> why? That's a great one. Why would you? I think look... you know the film. Yeah, that's why oh, you're looking at it. Like you know the film. <laughs> yeah, Citizen Dick. Not just because. Yeah, Citizen Dick. It's a great name for a band. It's a brilliant name. Uh, Matt Dillon is the lead singer. Something about Mary. No, uh, Buffalo '66. Uh, um, Wild Things. It's it's the. Oh, I love that film. Crash. It's the grunge movie. <laughs> oh um, oh fucking hell. Cameron Crowe. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I can't no. remember the name of it. Oh wait, uh, no, actually, I don't the know. film is Singles. No, oh you no, I didn't Singles. Know that. No, I didn't know. You that. guys would love that shit. Great. And finally, the Pinheads. Uh, Hellraiser. Hellraiser Four. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Uh, um, uh, Airheads. Do you want a clue? Yes. yes. We've already. You've already said the film in one of previous previous answers, and um, they play the Power of Love is the song that the Pinheads sing. Back to the Future. It is. It's Mike McFly's band. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, Al. Uh, Oh, music. You let me down. I'm really sorry. No worries. We'll get through it. Let's all uh, let's all hug it out afterwards. Right then, are you going to read the scores? Sorry, when Vicky wins, the scores get read out. I'm just interested to know. I don't normally read the scores. You do. Uh, five one. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Four just... one. F- maybe four one. Well, five one. So first one. Let's go with the first one. That is us done. <laughs> we are back on Thursday to talk our way through the crow. It's going up against Darkman this week. In the meantime, please do take the time to rate us, review us and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify or other. It's hugely appreciated. We will see you on Thursday. Chris? I've got a clue first and we are going to do a clue for next week's show and the clue is next week we're going to party like it's 1989. Next week, we're going to party like it's 1989. That's the clue for next week's shows. Back with you on Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.